we have what I believe is going to be a really exciting and fruitful season for our church. And that is with uh, having just finished James and entering into the book of Philippians, we are starting this new season of home groups. Um, It's called At the Table. That's the name of our new home groups ministry. And we have 24 groups all over our community who gathering in homes for a meal and and for discussing the sermons uh, that we'll be hearing through Philippians. And you know, our desire for At the Table is for people to grow toward the Lord and then toward one another. One of the things that we haven't really uh, spoken about recently is just the, the, the vision of our church and even how it's broken down in our logo. I just want to remind you. By the way, did you see the new sign in the back? It's beautiful. And uh, if you see those arrows pointing up in the, the front corner over there, that's our vision of, of to know Jesus. And we do that through teaching and preaching. And then in the far top right, there's the arrows going down, and that's to be known by Jesus. And we do that through worship and prayer. And then the arrows pointing in in the bottom left corner, that's to be known by one another. And we do that through discipleship and community. That's where the home groups fit in. And then the arrows going out, that's uh, to make Jesus known. And that is through evangelism and missions and seeing people like last week coming to Jesus because the gospel was proclaimed. So, amen. That's the vision of our church. That's what we're going to continue to do here And uh, today is just a really big day because what we get to do is we get to witness people doing something very special, something really that's that's quite sacred, is that people are going to make a bold declaration of their faith through baptism. And seven brothers and sisters have decided already today that they're going to get baptized. And we have, yes, seven. It's awesome. Beautiful. And we have towels There's more than seven towels, and we have shirts, and we have lots of tissue, because if you've been at a Calvary Chapel Palace for his baptism, you know that God likes to surprise us, and uh, we might see more people, as Rob said this morning in prayer, Lord, would you bring 70 times seven uh, baptisms, and so if you have not been baptized, then maybe today, by what you would hear, would cause you to say, you know what, I need to do that, that that is This is a decision that I need to make where I need to put my faith in Jesus and then proclaim that publicly before my church family. Because this is what baptism is, is you're being submerged into water. And it's a way of demonstrating that a change has occurred in your life. In baptism, what you're doing is through active faith and obedience to Jesus, you're saying, I have died to the power of sin And I've been raised to newness of life in Jesus. In in, in baptism, what you're doing is you're, you're saying, I've been united with Jesus in his death. Just as Jesus went into the grave, uh, I'm going into the grave with Christ, united with him there, that I've died to sin and self, and I'm living for Jesus. And then when you come up out of the water in the same way that Jesus was not held by the grave, but that death was destroyed And he brought to light life and immortality through the gospel. Jesus was raised to new life. And when you come out of that water, it's saying, I have been united with Jesus in his resurrection. That's what baptism is. Demonstrated through water as if it's a a grave. Somebody even this morning said, oh, are you going to do the baptisms in that coffin-shaped thing? You know, it's actually a horse trough. But it's, it's the perfect, you know, shape. It 
could be a coffin, you know, but anyways, you, you, you just, you go in, you go into that water and, and you're really truly saying in faith, I'm dead in Christ. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. And as I come up out of the water, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm not living just the way that I want to live. I'm living for a new way of life, the way of Jesus. And so those baptisms are going to happen today at the end of second service. But the water's ready right now. And today, maybe first service, we want to see some baptisms. Like I said, we got towels and shirts. So... As we enter into this season of home groups, and as today we have baptisms, we're not going to start the book of Philippians just yet. Today we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, and so if you have your Bible, open them up. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4 together. And there's a part in this chapter that speaks to us about baptism. And it, it speaks to us really about what we enter into when we get baptized, you see, when a person is baptized, they are demonstrating that they belong to a community of faith called the church. And the church is illustrated in Ephesians chapter 4 here as a body. You know, we have a body with, with a head and we've got hands and we've got feet from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. That's your body. And, and in the same way, the church is illustrated like a body. And so today, as we go through this section, what we're going to see is that this is what we get to be part of when we're baptized. It's truly powerful when somebody understands what they belong to in Jesus. And one of the ways that the Bible tells us to express our belonging to one another is through this united act of baptism in water. You know, two people who have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit can, can come to one another and together they can say, we are family. We belong together. We are a body. We are the church. We are a living community that is infused with resurrection life. And so let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 as a way of seeing how this baptism brings us into this body. Says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just you were, as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord one faith, and look, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he may fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the head of the church and we are your body. We thank you that when you died and rose again, you gave us gifts, Lord, so that together we would build one another up in love. And God, I pray as we come into today with baptisms and into this week with home groups, God, that you would fill all in all with your presence. God, that you would be here in our midst even now as we seek you in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you know the book of Ephesians, even though we're just taking a little section out of it today, it starts with three chapters that speak to us about our position in Jesus. And then the second half, the last three chapters, speak to us about our practice in Jesus. Here's what I just want to say that's really important, how the New Testament is written. We are first told our position before, before we're told our practice. I mean, we're told what to believe before we're told how to behave. And, and we're told who to believe in before we're told how to behave for him. This is really important because a lot of times, even this week as I was talking to some people, they think that when they come into the church that they got to clean themselves up, they got to live a right life, and then God will accept them. Does anyone like fishing? You know, in fishing, do you clean the fish before you catch the fish? No. You know, it, it, it really is called fishing because it's not catching. A lot of times when you go fishing, you don't catch anything. But when you catch something then you clean it. And this is true of the gospel. You come to Christ. You come and you unite yourself to him. You belong to him, and then you begin to behave. You begin to live for him. And you know, I, I, in a couple of the people I was talking to today, the reason why they've waited to be baptized is because they were waiting for their behavior to change. And they thought, you know, I, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I was waiting for a time when I would be right before God, like when I would be holy enough before God, and then I would get baptized. And they've waited, and they've waited, and they waited because they're looking for some sort of, you know, change in their life. You know, when people in the New Testament were baptized, they were baptized immediately. And then the change came. And so if you're waiting to get baptized because you're looking for some sort of perfection in your life, you're not going to see it. Not this side of eternity. Because in Christ, we are baptized and we realize that sin has lost its power in our lives. You're like, when did that happen? Because it seems that sin's still powerful in my life. It is. But, but it's lost its power. Spiritually, sin has lost its grip on you. And, and the things that you now do, the things that even, you know, Romans 7 talks about you struggle because the things you want to do, you don't do, and the things you don't want to do, you end up doing, and, and oh, you realize what a wretched person you are, and yet you say, who can deliver me except Jesus Christ? 
And therefore, there is now no condemnations for those who are in Jesus Christ. So if you're waiting for some sort of way in which you need to change a certain amount before you get baptized, are you coming to God on the basis of works rather than on the basis of grace? You see, we come to Christ on the basis of grace, but when we come to him in grace, works are going to come out of our life. He says there in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You know, there's a right way to walk as a Christian, and there's a wrong way to walk as a Christian. And the right way has been revealed to us in Scripture. This is the lamp that is unto our feet. And we are to walk by the Spirit in accordance with the Word of God, and that is to walk in a worthy manner. And you know, walking, walking, you got to learn it. Right? I, I've got a one-and-a-half-year-old son right now who's learning more and more how to walk. For, for a time, he was tripping and stumbling, and, and I was like, okay, you know, come to Dada, come to Dada. And he'd, you know, come off the table, and he'd kind of do this, you know, and he'd kind of go all over the place. Now he, you know, comes through the doors of church, and he just leaves with his chest, you know, kind of <laughs> just like, what's up, you know? And when we, when we walk with Christ, it's really just a two-step process. One step, two-step, repeat. You know, we overcomplicate walking with Christ. One step, two-step, repeat. One step, two-step, repeat. Walking's not that hard. You know, when you're, when you're young and fake, you think about how do you walk? What does that look like? And you might stumble, and you might fall, and that's okay, because your loving Father catches you. But as you mature and as you grow in Christ, you're going to learn how to walk, and even to a point where you don't even really think about it anymore, because you're just walking in a manner that is worthy of your calling. And and so, just thinking about this, I was reading one of the testimonies of somebody who's going to be baptized, And, and you know, they said that they have real faith now. Because they've been saved from false idols and false ideas and false practices and demonic forces. Something we learned in James is that demons believe all the right things about God, and yet they don't do anything about it. They have no good works to back up their knowledge. And you know, when you know Jesus, your works are going to back it up. And one of the works is baptism. Baptism is a work. It's a good work that God calls us into when we're saved. But look, baptism does not save you. Let's make that point very clear today. Baptism in no way saves you because no work can save you because we are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. And yet a person who has been saved will participate in obedience to to do that work. You know, Jesus commanded us to be baptized. It's a command. He says, be baptized and and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the first part of living out a Christian life that matches up with our faith is to be baptized. And then when we're baptized into Christ, there is then to be this unity that exists among the body of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 2. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk 
in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Now, these are qualities that I think are going to be especially important as we enter into a season of home groups. You know, um, we're a bunch of sinners, aren't we? (laughs) And one of the ways in which the church has also been illustrated is that we're like living stones built off of Jesus, who's the chief cornerstone. And you know, in the times when when they were building, when that was written in, in Peter, stones weren't these like perfectly shaped bricks that just stacked up on top of each other. They were these stones that had a bunch of rough edges. And in order for those stones to fit together, you know what had to happen? There had to be some rough edges that got broken off. For people to fit together, you had to be molded and shaped, and you had to fit together so that working together, you can build up into this most holy uh, temple to the Lord. And and this is true of us, is that we need to just, you know, break off our rough edges of one another. And that's going to happen in community. It's not going to happen in isolation. If you're just kind of on your own, you're going to be your own little living stone, and you're going to be, you know, you're not going to be built up with one another. But if you're together, it's through humility and through gentleness and through patience and through bearing with one another that you're going to be growing together. And you're going to do this in love, in love, not done begrudgingly, but out of this unconditional agape love. And then in verse 3, it says that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This verse has stuck out to me so much recently because do you notice what it says there? That one of the, one of the great things we're to have as Christians is unity in the church. But do you see that we're to be eager to maintain unity? It doesn't say be eager to create unity, to make unity. It's be eager to maintain unity And what kind of unity is it? It's unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Who makes unity in the church? The Holy Spirit. God makes unity. And as the church, as his people, we're called simply to maintain it. You know, part of the thing, God's done a great work here at Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes, hasn't he? And it's been a work of the Spirit, truly. And sometimes I, I just have to get on my knees before the Lord and say, God, you got to maintain this. And, and, and God's like, you got to maintain this. And, and I'm like, God, keep pouring out your spirit. And he's like, I'll keep pouring out my spirit. I'll keep pouring out my peace. I'll keep pouring out unity. I'll keep pouring out growth. I'll keep more, bringing more people to be baptized. But as my people, you need to maintain that. And I'll tell you, there's something that will destroy a church overnight. Division. Division. And this is why having home groups is so fruitful, because you know what? It creates um, layers in which you can't see division just happen overnight. Because there's community, and there's relationship. And yeah, we got a lot of rough edges that are going to be broken off. And yet we realize that together in the Lord, we're connected and we're sticking together. And so when you plug in 
and you get into that bond of peace. You know, that word bond is like you get glued together. And when you get glued together, you're not going to get unstuck. So be eager to maintain this. Again, not make it, maintain it. And then verse 4 through 6, it says, because there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So Christians, what do we have in common? It says there, what we have in common is one body. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And he's over all and through all and in all. He permeates everything. You know, I, I, I love that baptism is in there. And as I was thinking about this idea of baptism, I think about how when a person is baptized, just the water permeates everything. That's why we've got all these mats, just because water gets everywhere. <laughs> and when you are baptized into Christ, you are permeated with the Lord. You're permeated with faith. You're, you're filled with God, the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's, you're surrounded by God, but you're also surrounded then by his people. And then being with God's people in verse 7, God gives grace so that we can work together. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, the meaning of this is that everything prior to this is that there's no variety, there's no difference. We're one in the Lord. And yet Paul understands that in one body there are many members. And Paul understands that the one spirit apportions many different gifts according to his will. He understands that in the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, that people come into unity from all different places and backgrounds and stories. And we come together in unity. I just want to say this is that unity is not uniformity. Unity does not take away from your individuality. He's not calling for individual members of the body of Christ to be absolutely identical. In fact, there is going to be difference. There is going to be diversity. And unity is oneness and harmony, which is not the same as sameness. It, it's not the absence of variation. And in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, it shows us that unity is perfectly consistent with diversity. That there's diversity of spiritual gifts among the body of Christ. And so the paradox is that the different individual members of the church make up this harmonious, functional body. And the difference is actually the means by which unity is preserved. When we celebrate the fact that we're all a little bit different, and when we work together in the ways that we are different. And so unity in community is seen when we appreciate the uniqueness of individual believers that make up that community. And that we're all together as one, and, and that grace is given to all. 
grace is given to all. And you might be further along than somebody else. And the grace you've received is that the grace you're going to give. So when you get into community groups and you find out that someone in the group is, you know, maybe still living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, you're like, (gasps) catch the fish and then clean the fish. Right? When you come into community group and you realize, you might realize a lot of sameness and that's beautiful, but you might realize a lot of difference. And we're all being built up into Christ. Because where it comes into verse 11, which I'm not going to dive into just for sake of time, says that he's given spiritual leaders in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And what is the job of the pastors of this church? Do you guys know? Says it in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You know, I told my wife this last week. I said, you know, over these next eight weeks, It's almost like we've been preparing for two and a half years for this. And it's almost like, in one sense, it's going to be like an eight-week break. You guys all do the ministry now. I'm just going to sit back. But in another sense, it's like it calls upon the pastors even more to shepherd, to maintain unity. Because the more you become known, the easier it can be to just ditch out. Or the more you become known, the more fruitful and effective we become in being a body because the saints are equipped for the building up of the church. And so as pastors, our job is to do the work of equipping so that you can do the work of ministry. We're coming into a season, church, I just want to say this, where We'll continue to teach and preach the word. We'll continue to pastor as, as your spiritual leaders of this church. But um, in another sense, it's your turn. It's your turn. And I just think after these eight weeks, it's going to be a really fruitful time. This is what we're building up to. The, the rest of the chapter says that through coming together in this unity of the spirit, because you've been equipped with the word of God to be in community, that we're going to attain to unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, maturity, and that we will have the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that just sounds really good. And this is what we're going toward. And if we're going toward this, then it means that we're going away from something. You know, the Christian life is a directional life. We head in a certain direction. And and if our direction is unity knowledge, maturity, and fullness, if those are the things that come with being united to Jesus and being united to one another, then that means we're leaving behind, we're moving away from division, ignorance, immaturity, and emptiness. Let me say that again. Church, in the next eight weeks, we are moving toward unity, knowledge, maturity, and fullness, which means we're leaving behind division, ignorance, immaturity, and emptiness. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. It says no longer. We're done. And if today you're done with living on your own and you want to be united to Christ and you want to be united to his people, one of the first steps of that is to get baptized is to say, I'm united with Christ. I have died with him, and I'm also raised with him. And, and, and then, like I said, two people who have been baptized can look at one another and say, we belong together. We've gone through that one baptism where together we can say, we are in Christ. We are in family. And so if you're done walking alone, if you're done walking in isolation, if you're done with division and emptiness and all these things that have been spoken about, if you're done with it, then get baptized and enter into community. Verse 15 says, rather, this is what we're to do, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see your place in there? Do you see your role and your responsibility? Each and every joint has to supply. Are you a foot? Are you a hand? Are you an ear? Are you a knee? What are you in the body of Christ? You have a part so that we would equip building itself up in love so that there's this effective working. Jesus as the head and we as his body. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. As we come into a time of worship and as next service we come into a time of baptism, Lord, we want to celebrate the victory of your death and resurrection. We want to come together as one, united through faith, united in one Lord, united in one baptism. We want to come together in this work, Lord, and we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in this church. We're eager for it, and we want to maintain it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.